0: Well, good evening, and welcome. Thank you for being here with us. Easter morning is a celebration. Hopefully you're coming back for our celebration with us, and it's meant to be that. It is the victory lap over every power in this world that would seek to bring us down and bring us low. But Good Friday is different. And it's not that this service is meant to make us feel really down so then we can be really excited for Sunday, but it is for us to remember what was happening, what continues to happen in the gospel. And so I'm excited to get into God's word and Pastor Nathan already read a portion from what I'm going to continue to read from Isaiah 53. Uh, but if you're new and you don't know me, uh, sometimes you might see me on Sunday mornings. I do the announcements. I'm the announcement guy. Uh, but uh, my, my real role uh, is the youth pastor here at Claremont Emanuel. And one of the gifts that youth pastors get that I found out when I started working here about nine years ago was you get to preach Good Friday. It's, it's like in the contract, I didn't even know about it. And you have to be careful that you don't end up saying Black Friday because that's different. Good Friday is different. Uh, but uh, when when I, when I got offered to originally teach, I thought this is awesome. Uh, I, I can't wait. What what am I supposed to do? What, what? And so I looked back to see the the different sermons uh, that I've given for Good Friday. And Sydney, my wife, jokingly was like, "You know, you should just." You know we've had a lot going on. Just do one of the ones you already prepared. No one's going to remember. <laughs> now, before you think that she was being you know, overly critical, I know n- nobody remembers really any sermon. Okay, but I'm, I'm, there's a there's a good uh, one of our former uh, overseers, uh, Dan Naus would used to say that uh, sermons and teaching are like meals. You have to keep having them, but you don't really remember most of the meals, but you can't skip them because you'll starve to death. But you do remember really, really exceptional meals. I don't know if tonight will be one of those exceptional meals you'll remember, but hopefully as we come together around God's word, we will be able to have a meal together and we are going before the table to have the meal that God prepared for us on the cross, and as Jesus instructed his followers to come before this table and to take, but to celebrate what has been done, but to realize our need. And so tonight, that is what we're going to be doing, and I, I was tempted to just give one that I've already given, I'll be honest, because from nine years ago, you guys would have no idea. Uh, But as I looked through it, I realized one of my focuses a lot of the time was on the seriousness of our sin. And as Good Friday, we realized that the depth of our sin that required such a sacrifice, that required something so dark. And I know that many of us probably have seen some type of depiction of the crucifixion and have seen how how awful, awful it was. And that is part of what we need to be thinking every time we go before the table to have Christ's body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. But tonight, what what I was really drawn towards as I was praying over the passage is what a gift it is that we have a God who is for us. That Good Friday the death of the the leader that you would follow would be the end of the story for anything else. But for us, that is the moment that we see God's heart for us. As you follow the Old Testament, you can see God continually with pain and following through suffering to love his people. They continue to turn. And you see God's love. But it is it comes together and is made in full at the cross. And so tonight I'd like you to just read with me or or listen as I read through the first 10 verses of Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Like we all, like sheep, For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this word. This word that we can look at in prophecy that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And that as we talk, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be a part of what we say, what I say and what we hear. And that you would Guide us tonight to think and to be moved by the cross and what it means for our lives. We pray these things in the name of Christ, who through the cross makes a way for us to pray like I am praying right now. Amen. So this passage, like I just prayed, is a prophecy written many, many years before Jesus walked the earth. And as we look at the historical documents that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the life of Christ and how closely it resembles these words. And as we look at the crucifixion and the road to the cross, we see how Jesus fulfilled these things to be what the Jewish people were looking for, the Messiah. That Jesus was not just a prophet, not just a great teacher, not just an interesting man who lived 2,000 years ago, but he was the exact fulfillment of every prophecy in the Old Testament. And in this prophecy, we see you and I. We see where we stand in this, and the spoiler for that is it's not great. We're not really the star of this passage. We're not the likable side character in the story. But we are the ones that are desperately loved. Because it says here that he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet, we considered him punished by God. The punishment that was meant for us was brought upon him. So how do we get here? How how does that make sense? Why Why would there be punishment for you and I? Why would there be punishment for any people? It doesn't seem right. Especially when... Most of the time, as you maybe leave this room and in the culture and and listen to how people talk, everyone basically wants to be good. Or maybe everyone inside, ah, there's a good person underneath there, right? But as Christians, we know that that's not the case. Number one, because the bar for being good is much higher than the world would have us think it is. But also because... Our hearts, our very hearts, they betray us and they really show, ultimately, who we think should be in control. Because it says here in verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. I know many of you have been in church before and that phrase, you've heard it. We are all like sheep and have gone astray. And it sounds nice. It actually sounds kind of like sweet. You just kind of think of a sheep wandering off somewhere. At one point, uh, my wife and I were able to, to visit Ireland, and it's mostly just sheep out there. <laughs> in, uh, in, in high school, our church uh, sent a, a group of people to visit different uh, uh, folks that we supported in other countries, and I got chosen to go to New Zealand. And it sounds really great, and it was, but it was crazy, because I was in high school, like, serving as a student ambassador to the the missionary missions board at the church, and I told them, they would said, hey, we've got to send people around to go visit everybody, and does anybody want to go to New Zealand? And I'm sitting there like, well, obviously, I'm not going to get to do that. And then no one raised their hand. And I was like, I don't know if you guys have seen Lord of the Rings, but it's a pretty big deal. And that was right at like the height of the movie, so I was like, uh, I'll go for free, thank you. And they were like, All right, I guess, yeah, we'll send him, I guess we have to send some adults with him. Uh, and I was like, whatever you guys say. Uh, and again, we got there, and as you looked out at the country that, again, in New Zealand, I, it's, I think it's like 10 to 1 sheep to people, <laughs> and... You think, as you see the fields and the, the, rolling, the rolling green hills, oh, it's just the sheep, they're just wandering off. It's just so pretty and it's so nice. But the trick about sheep going astray is that, no offense to sheep, but they're kind of, I can't say it in church, but not the most intelligent. Not the most smartest, okay? And so they may get themselves into a little bit of trouble. They go astray. And it's not just that they wander off to another nice green pasture. The problem is, is they'll wander off into danger. They'll wander off a cliff. And the problem is, they think that they're just doing what they should do. I mean, who's going to tell that sheep? You you don't know where you're supposed to go. Because the Bible looks at you and I, and, and we have to ask ourselves... Where am I at? Am I close to the shepherd? Am I listening to him or have I gone astray? Now, if you've come to to Jesus in your life, if you have followed him as your Lord and Savior, you are telling him, you are my shepherd and I will come near to you. But if you've never taken that step, it means that you are still living your life like you are the leader. That you are the one that's in control. Because the fact is, and this is the part in our hearts that, that the culture and the world for, for all time doesn't want to admit, is that we all want to be God. We want to be the one in control. We think we have the answers. I don't know if you guys have ever been a child or have talked to a child, but they, they think that they know a lot. Who's ever argued with someone that's like four years old. <laughs> and who's ever felt like you're going crazy because you can't convince them of something that's like so obvious. Now, don't count the times when it turns out that they're right. That doesn't work for this illustration, okay? Because that does happen. But it's one of those things where you're looking and you're going, How, what, what is in you that makes you not trust me? I'm, I'm quadruple. I'm 10 times your age but something in you is telling you, I I think I got it. I know what's right. I just kind of learned how to put my underwear on backwards. I'm pretty sure I can figure out the rest of everything else by myself. And we look at a kid and we go, maybe, you know, that's sweet, or like, you know, ah, we've got to keep you away from the road. Uh, But often we don't connect that with the reality that that is, that's the core of sin. That's the core. Now, sin, we think of sin. We think of darkness, and we think of all of the most evil, heinous things that you can do, which is included. But at its core, sin, the word sin is referring to missing the mark. It's a a term for archers that as they point towards the target and they are off from the target, it's a sin. They are missing the mark. And the point is, is that you miss the mark when you ignore the person telling you where to shoot. And if you are ignoring God, if you think that you are the one that has the answers, if you, as you stand before the God of the universe with your underwear on backwards, and you go, I'm pretty sure I can figure this out, God. I know you said in your word I'm supposed to live like this, but I, I think I've got it. That's, that's where sin's coming from. And then every one of those darker, those more painful sins, they brood out of that core feeling that we're born into which is, I'm pretty sure I can figure this out. Now, I know that some of you, I'll, I'll make this illustration really short because many of you guys will go, I can't believe that that pastor plays video games, but I do, all right? And, and I'll say this, my son and I today, uh, I took him out a little bit early from school for Good Friday to take him to see the Super Mario movie. Um, because I'm a good dad, and that's what you do. And it was only for him to see it. I was mildly interested to see what they were gonna do with that property. But something in that, in, in, in what draws us to those, any, any type of game, is the idea that there is risk, but ultimately it's low. That as you play as Mario and you jump through the level, and then something happens. You run into a little spinning turtle shell, right? I don't have to explain the whole game for you guys. If not, just look it up. It's pretty old. It's fine. You can find it. But then if that happens, you get knocked out of it. It's okay. You, you start back over. Maybe a little frustrating. You start back at the beginning. And then if that happens too many times, maybe you got to start all the way over. But then you, you know a little bit more. You're going to try again. And we kind of think about that with, with, with life, I'll just make mistakes, I'll get a little bit better, I'll I'll, I'll try again, and that happens throughout all of our life, and the thing is, is I don't know about you, but that's a pretty poor method in real life, and I don't mean to make light of it, because the fact is, is when we keep trying and making those mistakes, and then trying again, the problem is that it creates pain in our life. That when we go astray, it's not only ourselves that gets in danger, but everyone else around us. When I don't figure out my selfishness in my heart and truly give my life over to Christ, and I bring that into my marriage, I test that thing out. See how far I can get in that first marriage before I get knocked out by three turtle shells. Then you're going to try the second one, right? Why well, I got another life? I mean, life is long. I'll try it again. Try it again. That's how most people live their life. And the fact is, is that that right here is what God is saying Christ died for. To break us out of that cycle of just thinking, well, that's what life is. It's hard and it's difficult. You're in the weeds and you just got to keep trying to find your own way. And he says, no, that. That is what sheep are prone to do, but what God is calling us into, and why the church for 2,000 years has continued to come before the Lord's table, and to remind ourselves yearly on Good Friday that we are called to come back to the Savior, come back to God and his truth, is because he knows us, and he doesn't want us to stay like that. He doesn't want you to stay far away, continuing to make your own mistakes, It doesn't mean that life will go perfectly for us, but this is what he is calling us into in that verse. He says, we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned and the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, that iniquity. So then the question is, why does that, why why does our being astray create this debt? It's just hurting us, right? Why does that create a debt that now there is iniquity? There is something that is, is breaking the, 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 the relationship of, with God. There's something that is it causing a debt. Why does that happen? And I think that's where we can see here in, in verses five that he's pierced for these transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, the punishment that we deserved. And that's where when we think of the crucifixion and how horrendous that entire process was, that I, I'm sure that you have seen or heard of those cats and nine tails that are, are, are a, a whip with all of these different uh, items or rocks or, or sharp objects at the end of this whip that Christ is whipped with. And it's so much that as you are whipped, it not only creates bleeding wounds, but it can be so severe that your entrails can come out of those wounds. And then being asked to carry the beam of the cross why, why, why would God do that? Why would that happen? And that is where we see this debt, that he was crushed for our iniquities, to give us just the smallest picture of this is what sin does. From the very beginning in Genesis, God tried to instruct Adam and Eve, if you don't listen to me, you will die. And what do they do? They don't listen to him. And they're pronounced that now they will die. But not only that, when they don't listen to him, when they say, you know what, God, I think we can figure it out. I think that we know what we're doing. They decide to do that. What ends up happening? They realize their nakedness. And God, in his mercy, sacrifices an animal. And with that animal, he covers them. And that is the beginning as God instructs how you can make it through this life as you are a sheep wandering astray, how you can cover yourself to try to be before God, to try to be near him, to try to listen to him. You need to have yourself covered. And so you begin to have sacrifices. A picture of that covering, saving us from the judgment of God is in the story of Passover that as the plagues are being called upon Egypt, that, that the people of Israel are instructed, the, the, the Jewish people are instructed, that if you want the angel of the Lord to pass over your house, you must sacrifice an animal and place its blood on the doorway of your house, and it will pass over you. Again, showing us that the judgment that we deserve Because of the pain our sin and our decisions cost, there needs to be payment for that. But even more than this, I don't know if you are like me, and I can get a little bit in my head at times. If you know anything about me, you can laugh. Yes, I do zone out often. Uh, And the problem is, is often I'll get thinking about something, and I'll get wrapped up into that idea. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but sometimes... I think of a what if. What if I'd made that, like, this, this bad decision? What, what if that happened? And then I could get myself down a road where I begin to, like, realize, like, my whole life would be ruined because I don't, you, maybe you don't worry about this, but I always think every time I see a news story or some, some big person that is, that's failed, I always think, you, you're one bad decision away of your life being over. The problem is, is I'm thinking that even today, as I'm driving my car, I think, man, if I wasn't paying attention while I was driving, I could hit somebody, and then they could die, and then I would go to jail, and then my whole life would be over, and before I know it, I drove for, like, a few minutes, and I wasn't paying attention while I was driving, and I was like, whoa, that would have been a bad fulfillment of my greatest fear, but the fact was, as I think about that, and we can think, oh, if I made this one bad decision, here would be all of these bad things, here would be all this pain, here would be all this punishment that could happen if I talk to that friend at work that's just a friend, but I continue to talk to them too much, that I continue to make that bad decision, we can then imagine, we don't have to imagine how bad the fallout could be, how much pain would be inflicted from those decisions. Why would we think it's any different before God? The debt that it creates I've used the illustration a lot of times with our students to try to imagine why we owe something to God when when we do something simple to a person, right? I lied to Joyce. I would never imagine to do it, but let's say that I did. That's already the worst possible thing I probably could do. But let's say I did that. I, I lied to her. The punishment, the fallout from that will be a broken relationship. I would have to do a lot to pay the debt to regain trust. Now, if a child lies to a parent, you have to do a lot to regain that trust. There'll be punishment for that lie. You may have different things taken away. Now, when you or I lie to a police officer, they ground us, right? No. You begin to have more of a punishment. There could be, depending on what you lie about, there could be time where you are imprisoned. But then if you continue to go up with another, if you lie to your government at the highest level, I mean, you could federally be put to death. Depending on what you do, one simple same act to whom you do that to will change the amount of debt that you accrue. But here's the thing even if we go down to the smallest version of whatever it is, and I've lied to Joyce. Who are each one of us made in the image of? God. Why did he set the mark of what is good and right and noble and just? Why did he set that for us? Because he made this earth and he knows how he wants it to be. And every time that we do something to hurt one another... We are doing it to him because we are telling him, I don't care. I'm a sheep and I'm smarter than you. So when you do that, when you say that you're smarter than you to your parent when you're four years old, it probably might be a conversation. I don't know. But when you're saying that to the God of the universe, that is a different debt. And so... That debt that we have, when we remind ourselves of it as we go before the table when we take communion, or as we come together for a good Friday, we are reminded that he was crushed for that. He took that debt and paid it for us. And we think in Isaiah that it was always his plan. There's not a different God of the Old Testament that's just saying all these different things and then Jesus comes along and says, love everybody. No, God's entire plan was to make us right with him, to make a way for us to actually be in relationship with him. And that on the cross, when Jesus finally cries out his last breath, it is finished and he dies, then the temple curtains are ripped open No longer is God just dwelling in the Holy of Holies, but his plan has come through that now he is out from the temple. And we find out that on Sunday when Jesus is resurrected, it's because now we have the opportunity that God dwells in us. That instead of us just simply trying to cover the sins or trying to do better and go, well, last Tuesday I really tried to be great and this Tuesday I'm being a little bit better. God knows, no, that's, that's not what I'm asking you to do. What I'm asking you to do is realize that I did it all. I paid it all. That it is all finished. Once and for all, Christ has paid the debts and now we have the opportunity to then have his righteousness placed over us, cleansing us that now God's spirit can live in us. And if God's spirit is living in us, we now can have the strength and the power to live in such a way that we are listening to our shepherd. And so I don't mean to get too far into Easter and how hopeful it is. But because we know that Sunday is coming, that that's what we have to be in. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When our debt has been paid, we now have hope. Because if it was simply just our debt being paid and then that was it. You cleared, the, 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 the balance sheet is cleared and that's it. That's, that's nice, but that's not what God offers you and I. He clears the balance sheet, but resurrects Christ in the hope that now we have that same resurrection, that now we have a hope in our new life, that it is we are justified completely at the moment that we place our faith in Christ. We now can live in the strength that God wants us to live in. So on Good Friday, why is it so good? It's because we have everything now. When we come before the table, you are reminded, either if you're part of our church, the first Sunday of the month, every first Sunday you are reminded everything has been paid for. Anytime that you are still holding on to your sin and holding on to your flesh, you are holding on to a dead body that is nothing, that it's already over with. You're being reminded that it's already paid for and you are already given the strength to overcome it. Christ died so that we no longer have to fear our physical death. What Adam and Eve were given as a a punishment for sin that we carry through Adam, that that's taken. You don't have to fear death anymore. Not just hope, I I hope that I'm good enough. That's what a lot of other religions give you. I hope. I hope that I've done enough good things. I hope I prayed enough times. But the justification in the cross made real in the resurrection is that you are completely justified and have full hope in in your salvation. Now, Again, why did, why did Christ have to die? Why did it have to be this way? Why did, why did some, someone have to die for our sins? Well, they didn't have to because you and I would have died for our sins and then have the eternal just punishment for those. There was no have to about it. The, the balance sheet was already figured out. You and I had the debt and we were going to pay it. The good news is that he paid it for us. And he didn't just simply pay it and say, I, I, I'm done with you. He paid it to invite us into an eternal hope, into a kingdom family. I was talking this over with Sydney, and obviously we got into the topic of Target, which you always do. You talk about the Target superstore at any moment, right? Anytime you could get there. Um... But imagine if we went into the Target and you stole something. Not that you would ever do that, but imagine that you did. You really liked that vase. You called it a vase. That's how much you liked it. And you took it, but then the manager found out. And you have the update. They say, hey, we're going to report you. We can, we can send you to jail over this. And you're like, that's extreme. But they're like, we are really strict on these vases. And they decide to... He says, you know what? I'm looking at you and I want to forgive it. I'm going to pay this. I'm going to buy this vase and and it's all going to be cleared. And you would go, that's great. I mean, that debt is cleared. You feel awesome about it. But the problem is, is you might need something again. You might steal it again. I don't know. And so when your debt is cleared in that moment, it's nice. But it doesn't fix the core problem that you... Needed something. That there was need in you. In the desire. To have that. What God does. Is he says. I see that you stole that. I'm going I'm to pay for it. And then I'm going to just give you the whole store. It's yours. Fireworks. I don't know. Or I hope. I'm going to give you the whole store, and I'm going to shoot fireworks up for it. You might think the manager doesn't have that responsibility. They can't just give Target away. But luckily, you were talking to the manager that was secretly the son of the owner that owned everything. And he gives it to you. Everything that your heart was desiring and wanting, but you were placing it in the wrong things, God says, I'm giving it to you. I'm I'm giving you myself, and in myself, you have everything you can ever need. When you come before this table... And as we pray in a moment and come before this table, we are given everything that we need. But as humans, we need to be reminded of that. And so tonight, we are reminded of our need, but also reminded of that great love that God has given us, that we have a God who is for us and who has done everything, everything for us. And that is what the cross is. All of our debt is paid in full And in the resurrection, we see that we are now completely justified. When we come before this table, we can have full assurance that there's nothing in this world that will ever be held back from us that we truly need. And there's nothing in this world to fear, even death itself, because we are now part of God's eternal hope. With the fireworks, let's pray. Father, as we come before the table, I ask that you continue to guide our hearts of what we need to be reminded of. That as we see your power in the cross, that you took what would seem to be the end of everything and made it the very crux of our hope, that we need to be reminded of that power tonight. Something in our life that we feel powerless before, something before us that we've struggled with, that we feel like there's no chance of us fighting it. May we be reminded that there probably is no chance for us to fight it, but we are no longer on our own. If we have placed our faith in Christ, your spirit now dwells within us and we go into our days carrying the victory that has already been accomplished upon the cross. And we pray for these things in this night and the table as we come before it. In Christ's name, amen.